Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Alyssa Fixie, and this is Sci-Fi Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. You can't talk about the history of women in genre without discussing the Scream Queens. Women in horror have been intertwined for centuries from their literary contributions to the ways they helped define thrills and chills on the big screen. From the earliest moments of horror cinematic history, women have been present, often, as film historian George Feltenstein put it, screaming in terror even when films were silent. The iconic trope of the screen queen has changed greatly over the past century of film, moving away from the token damsel in distress type to a more empowered figure who subverts the expectations of her audience. However, to truly understand the Scream Queen and what she represents, we must return to the beginning and to one of the women who helped to pioneer the concept. She may have been sadly forgotten by history, but horror owes so much to Anne Gwynn. Anne Gwynn was born Marguerite Gwynn Trice in Waco, Texas on December 10, 1918. After studying drama at Stephens College in Columbia, Missouri, she set her sights on Hollywood. Her first showbiz break came when her family moved to Los Angeles. Her father was a wealthy apparel manufacturer, and while accompanying him to a convention in the city, Gwen was talent-spotted and started modeling for Catalina Swimwear. She started acting in small regional theater roles where a scout from Universal Studios spotted her. He invited her to stop by the so-called entertainment capital of L.A. for a meeting. According to Buck Rainey, Gwen was signed to a long-term contract with a studio after a very short interview. While some sources claim that the conversation was a brief 25 minutes, the legend goes that she was signed as a future star after only one. She was barely 20 years old when she made her movie debut in Unexpected Father, a 1939 comedy intended as a star vehicle for baby Sandy, a literal baby who Universal hoped would become their version of Shirley Temple. That didn't happen. Gwen was then put to work in a variety of small and often uncredited roles for the studio. She did comedies, westerns, noirs, and serials, including The Green Hornet. None of these projects were particularly prestigious, and as an unknown studio player, Gwen was not paid especially well. As the Second World War hit America and the troops went to battle, Gwen found a new calling as a pinup girl. Gwen modeled for hundreds, possibly thousands of cheesecake photos intended to cheer up the boys fighting for their country abroad. One of her more patriotic poses included sitting seductively atop a box of explosives while dressed as Uncle Sam. Another saw her riding a bomber plane like a horse. In another, she appeared as a sexy Santa delivering goodies to the boys in the South Pacific. Gwen became extremely popular with the men of the military for this and was even given the honor of being nicknamed the TNT Girl, which stood for Trim, Neat, and Terrific. 
A regiment of the U.S. Cavalry voted Gwyn as the girl they would most like to corral. Brett Kaiser described Anne Gwyn as a symbol of national beauty thanks to her pinup career. Back on the big screen during this period, Gwen had begun to find her niche, or rather, Universal found one for her. While she continued to work for pretty much every movie the studio sent her way, Gwen took her first steps toward becoming one of the premier screen queens of the 1940s. She kicked things off in 1940 with Black Friday, a strange mishmash of horror, sci-fi, and gangster movies starring the two most iconic horror actors of the previous decade, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi. In this film, Karloff plays a doctor who tries to save his best friend's life after a car accident by implanting part of another man's brain into him. Unfortunately, the other man happened to be a violent gangster, and soon his quiet professor friend develops a whole new personality. Gwyn plays Karloff's doting daughter who acts as his conscience when his focus on the scientific breakthrough of the operation clouds his judgment. It's not a large role, but Gwyn makes an impact, and in her climactic scene, she lets out one hell of a scream. It was the scream that got her noticed and made her perfect for Universal's continued devotion to the horror genre throughout the 1940s. More roles followed, as did opportunities for Gwen to stretch her skills as a genre darling. She popped up in a Flash Gordon serial as an alien princess, then reunited with Lugosi for The Black Cat, a horror comedy spoof loosely adapted from the Edgar Allan Poe story of the same name. The schlocky but deeply problematic film, The Strange Case of Dr. Rx, saw Gwyn kidnapped by a killer ape. This movie began shooting without a completed script, so the cast was forced to ad-lib. Gwyn reported that making this film was fun, 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 although the ad-libbing did lead to, quote, some plot loopholes in the finished product. She even played Dracula's love interest in a Monster Mash crossover called The House of Frankenstein, over the course of mere five years, she made movies with Karloff, Lugosi, and Lon Chaney Jr., making her the only screen queen of the era who worked with Dracula, the Wolfman, and Frankenstein's monster. In 1944, Gwen starred alongside Chaney Jr. in Weird Woman, where she played a newlywed accused of using voodoo to kill her new neighbors. The film also saw Gwen star alongside Evelyn Ankers, a fellow Universal screen queen who most notably starred in The Wolfman. Gwen and Anchors were best friends who shared a dressing room at the studio and they relished working together, although they admitted that they spent a lot of time laughing when they were supposed to be playing wicked rivals. This made the experience more enjoyable for both women, given that Lon Chaney Jr. was a notorious lover of practical jokes that Gwen admitted did become quite cruel. He was especially nasty to Evelyn and had a habit of turning up on set drunk. At the time, Evelyn was the horror queen of the lot, but the two were never rivals. As noted by horror cinema scholar Gregory William Mank, if Evelyn was the queen, there most certainly was no contest for the princess, Anne Gwen. Through pinups, she was positioned as the symbol of good old-fashioned American values worth fighting for. In horror movies, she was the beauty who literally needed to be saved from evil. That combination sent a strong message about what audiences wanted from Anne Gwen and what Universal wanted to give them. While Gwen never stopped working during the 1940s, often acting in three films at the same time, her career never progressed beyond the B-movies. She didn't break out like her friend Evelyn Ankers and almost never received top billing for a project. Like many lowly contract players, she went from movie to movie as the studio pleased. She had found fame from her pinup appearances and growing familiarity with horror, but Universal didn't seem to know what to do with her. 
She was a fresh-faced, all-American type, charming and spunky and beautiful, if not overly glamorous, and she made an impact in even the most thankless roles. By the end of the 1940s, Universal's interest in horror had waned. The genre had helped to make them rich and famous in the early 1930s, but scary movies were losing their popularity with the public. After the war, viewers wanted hopeful movies, not evil monsters and damsels screaming for their lives. Gwen expressed frustration with her position on the lot after she retired, telling an interviewer, One time you got a good role, then you landed a small role in the next movie. That arced me about Universal. I felt that you should always advance, not taking two steps backward for each step forward. As work with Universal dried up, Gwen made the switch to TV when the medium was still brand new. Still, she was working far less, and eventually she decided to retire. Her penultimate role saw her return to B-movie horror in the form of 1958's Teenage Monster, a very cheaply made movie about a man who turns into a hairy beast after being exposed to an alien meteor. A posse in panic, not knowing what they'll find. Man, beast, or demon from another world as they pursue the loathsome killing thing they call the Teenage Monster. It is very bad and currently holds the illustrious honor of a 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Gwen called it the worst thing I ever did, the worst thing I ever could have done. She even admitted that she'd only done it for the exposure. It was enough to make her say no more to the business. Later on in life, she recalled her days as a universal queen of B-movies, saying, I wish I had been more insistent on better parts. Maria Montez complained about absolutely everything and warned me not to be so cooperative. They made her a star, and I'm sure her demands had a lot to do with it. But it was a busy, happy time in my life, and I have no regrets. She made her final movie in 1970, and even worked for a while in a department store beauty counter where some customers recognized her from her Scream Queen days. After her husband died in 1965, she mostly stayed out of the spotlight to raise her children and live peacefully in California. She talked fondly of her acting years, calling them the good old days, and saying that she was so pleased that so many of the films I made are still enjoyed by fans, many of whom weren't even born when the films were made. Gwen suffered from ill health in the last decade of her life and died of a stroke on April 8, 2003, following surgery at the Motion Picture County Hospital in Woodland Hills. Today, she is survived by her daughter, Gwen Guilford, herself a former actress of horror and sci-fi movies such as Beware the Blob and Masters of the Universe. Guilford married the actor Robert Pine, best known for the TV show Chips, and the pair have two children, including an actor you might know and love named Chris Pine, a man who knows a thing or two about working in genre cinema. Gwen even showed him some of her movies when she babysat him. To understand our pop culture present and the impending future, we need to be aware of our past. It is important to know the amazing women who paved the way in horror and to never forget how crucial their contributions are to a genre we all love so dearly. Without Anne Gwen, we may never have had iconic scream queens like Jamie Lee Curtis, whose spunky all-American girl fierceness is so reminiscent of Gwen's. The actors behind the B-movie era of Hollywood are already so overlooked. Their contributions maligned are seen as less prestigious because they focus so heavily on genre fiction, but the film industry of today would be a vastly different place without those stories and the people who made them. So we thank you and Gwen for screaming up a storm for the forgotten women of genre. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Kaylee Donaldson and read by Alyssa Fixie. You can find the script for this episode and so much more at sci-fi fangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sci-fi fangirls.